Guess I'm now one dollar in the whole lifetime for lottery tickets and probably going to stay that way. <laughs> so glad that you're here with us uh, this morning as we gather together to, to worship and to, to look at this Christmas season. And, and we're going to do some things that are a little bit different this Christmas season, as you're going to see. We're not going to necessarily read from the the accounts that we find in the scriptures and for instance in Luke of the birth of baby Jesus or the angels and the shepherds we're not going to go back to Matthew but we're going to we're going to try to take a little different approach this morning and the reason for that is that that, that at Christmas time we often exchange gifts right we do that all the time sometimes we do it in our families sometimes we do it at school maybe sometimes we do it in our neighborhood done it at church before. Still remember that uh, when Mary and I lived back in Albuquerque, our uh, young married Sunday school department would have a white elephant gift exchange every year. The fact that I'm talking about being in a young married Sunday school class tells you this was a while ago, but uh, we did it. And we would get together every year and we had this white elephant gift exchange. And like most gift exchanges, a lot of the gifts that would come up were things that really, you know, gag gifts, stuff like that. Once in a while, somebody would bring a gift that was actually worth something that people would steal or fight over, but for the most part, they really weren't worth a whole lot. I don't really remember any of those gifts except for one of them. There was this pair of black ceramic swans, and they showed up every single year at our white elephant gift exchange. And the key was, whoever ended up with those, those black ceramic swans, they had to be able to try to wrap them in a way that no one else would know what they were, because no one really wanted to get those. I mean, they weren't all that great or anything. And so it became a tradition that year after year, those showed up. And like I say, I don't remember any other gift from there. And as a matter of fact, as I think back over, over Christmas over the years, I don't remember a whole lot of my Christmas gifts. There's a few that have stood out over the time, but, but really don't remember a whole lot of those. Well, this morning, as I said, we're going to take a little different approach to Christmas, and we're going to talk about the fact that at Christmas time, Jesus wants to do a gift exchange with us. He wants us to give Him things like our despair and our hurts and our worries and our problems and our troubles. And in exchange, He wants to give us gifts, like we're going to see this morning, like hope. And so we've titled this sermon series, The Great Gift Exchange. And this morning we're going to begin by talking about how Jesus wants to take our despair from us and in its place that he wants to give us hope. Now, that's something I think we desperately need in the world today, right? There's a lot of reasons out there to despair, aren't there? I mean, most of us, you know, we're tired of this COVID thing, and then just this week another variant pops up, and it looks like who knows what's going to happen, and, and we've kind of got worn out by that. It's caused a lot of division. It's caused a lot of divisiveness, even sometimes within the church and among Christians. I think we're tired of that. It causes despair. Some of, For some of us, the, the holiday season is really rough because we no longer have loved ones with us and it's hard as you celebrate the holidays together to do that without those loved ones with us i think we're all experiencing supply chain issues and uh, inflation and high gas prices so there's a lot of reasons out there for us to despair but the good news is that emmanuel 
that God with us, that he makes it possible for us to give Jesus that despair, and in return, he'll give us hope. As we saw in the video a little bit earlier, that's what God with us, that's what Christmas is all about. It's about the fact that Jesus came here to this earth to make it possible to take away all those things that are tough in our lives and and to give us something else in exchange, something that is life-changing, something that will last for eternity. So this morning we're going to look at a passage from Psalms, Psalm 43. You might want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles if you haven't already done that. And some of you will remember, I know a lot of you won't, but some of you will remember that earlier this year we actually covered Psalm 43 in another sermon. Did a sermon series on praying through the Psalms, and when we did that we actually looked at Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 together as a unit, because probably when they were first written, they comprised one psalm that was later broken into two. But today I'm going to look at just Psalm 43 and see what it can teach us about how we can have hope in a world that's full of despair. This is one of the things I love about the scriptures. You can take a passage that we looked at just a few months ago, and we can come back to it again and look at it and gain a whole different understanding than what we had then. That's why the scriptures are so exciting, so neat. I mean, as we come to them at different places in our life, we can learn different things that God has in store for us. So this is only five verses. I'm going to have you go ahead and read this out loud with me. The verses will be up on the screen so you can do that, and then we'll take a look at what that has to teach us. So let's read it together. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre. O God, my God, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Five verses, but isn't there so much in here? But here's what we're going to kind of try to boil it down to this morning, the the idea that we want to take away from this passage, and it's this, that Jesus gives me hope, in exchange for my despair when I seek Him and not just a solution. When I seek Him, not just a solution. It's really interesting here. The psalmist, he starts out a lot like us. What do we do when we get into a problem? What do we want? We want a solution for the problem. He wants a solution. And he prays this this prayer that we could pray too. He says, God, save me from my enemies. Save me from these unjust and deceitful people all around me. And we live in a culture today, 3,000 years later, we could pray the exact same prayer, couldn't we? So he starts out and he, he wants God to give him a solution. But he learns that that's not what's going to happen. As a matter of fact, by the time we get to the end of the psalm, we see that his circumstances haven't changed one bit, but he's changed because his perspective has been changed. And the reason for that is that he seeks after God and not after just the solution. And when God doesn't answer the prayer the way he wants, he gets 
he, he, he begins to question God here. Think about his emotions. He says, God, I know you're my refuge, but I feel like you've abandoned me. And I think we're a lot more like the psalmist than, than, than we might realize sometimes, right? We want to pray when we get into a difficult situation. What's the first thing we do? We pray for God to take us out of those circumstances, to change our circumstances. And we see here that it's not wrong to do that. The psalmist does that. And so keep on praying. Pray for God to heal your cancer. Pray for God to solve your financial problems. Pray for God to help you with your relationships with other people. Pray for God to meet your needs. Those are, those are okay to do. But the question is, what happens when God doesn't answer the prayer the way that you pray the prayer? When He doesn't heal the cancer, when He doesn't immediately provide the finances that you need, when the, the relationship that you're struggling with is still a struggle, how do you respond then? Do you throw your hands up and say, God, I feel like you've abandoned me? I think some of us have done that from time to time, right? I mean, if we're really honest, haven't you felt like that sometimes? But the psalmist learns here that, that God doesn't want him just to find a solution. God wants him to find him. And that's what we have to do if we're going to be able to get beyond that despair. So like I say, keep on, keep on praying those things that you're praying. That's good. But sometimes we need to get beyond that and move on. So this morning we want to look at this passage and we want to see what we can learn here about how I can let Jesus take the despair that I give to Him and in return receive hope from Him. Here's the first thing that we want to be able to do if we can do that. I have to obey God's Word. Notice what he says here. Right after he prays and he realizes that God's not taking his enemies away, that God's not changing his circumstances, he says, well then God, what I want you to do is I want you to send out your light and I want you to send out your truth and I want you to let them lead me. It was more than just asking to intellectually know God's Word. Here he says, I want to understand them. I want to be able to apply them to my lives and to let them lead me. So then the question becomes, what is light? What is truth? I'm reminded here of what Pontius Pilate asked Jesus shortly before he went to the cross. Remember, Jesus comes before Pilate and, and they have this whole conversation and then at the end Jesus talks to Pilate about truth and, and Pilate says what is truth and Jesus never answers him but the fact is truth is standing right before him because truth is not just some concept truth is a person truth is Jesus Christ and Jesus true who is truth is standing right before him and so a little while before that, Jesus had told his disciples what truth is. He says, I am the truth. I am the truth. And so we know that truth is, is embodied in Jesus. And the way we learn about that, obviously, is through God's Word. And so we have to not only know it and understand it, but we have to obey it. Right after Jesus said to his disciples, I am the truth, he prays this prayer to God on their behalf in John chapter 17. And Jesus prays these words. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. 
And so if we want to find light and truth, we have to be spending time in God's Word and not just learning it intellectually, not just getting it into our head, but being able to obey it. So that means that when we spend time in God's Word, we not only have to spend time to read it, but we have to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to understand it and to put it into practice in our life. Unfortunately, sometimes when we get in despair, what, what do we not do is read God's Word, right? We don't obey it. But if we want to find Jesus and seek Him and not just the solution, then we have to be spending time in God's Word and obeying it. Here's the second thing that we need to do. We need to spend time with God's people. Again, when we get into despair, what do we have a tendency to do? We have a tendency to withdraw and to pull away sometimes, right? I think a lot of that's happened with the, with the COVID pandemic over the last couple of years. Some of it's been forced on us. I mean, I know for Mary and I, last year, we celebrated Thanksgiving, just the two of us, and it was, it was so great this year to be able to get together with our family once again. And we know what, what isolation has done in our culture. We know that over these last two years, there's been increases in, in things like mental illness and substance abuse and anxiety and depression. That's because God said that back at the creation, He said it's not good for man to be alone. So what does the psalmist do here? He says, I can't wait to go to God's holy hill. I can't wait to go to His house. He wanted to go worship with his fellow Jews. He knew that it was important in the middle of his despair to make sure that he wasn't isolating himself, that he would go worship with these other people. I've got to tell you that one of my fears has been over the last several months that, that a lot of you would just get so comfortable at home, watching on your devices, sitting in your pajamas, that you wouldn't come back to get again. And I'm really thankful that those, those worries have been really unfounded. Isn't it great to, to be able to come back together and be with each other in person again? There's something that happens when we gather together in person that won't happen when we're, we're hanging out by ourselves. So I'm thankful for all of you who have come back and, and who are here because that's an important part of how we make sure that we seek out Jesus and not just a solution to our problems. Third thing that I need to do is I need to praise God even when I don't feel like it. We see this twice here in this passage. In, in verse 4, he talks about the fact that when he goes to the holy hill, when he gathers together with all these other worshipers, he's going to praise God with music. And then we see it again in verse 5. He says, I will praise Him again. So we get the, the implication here that that's been a practice in his life. He's always been praising God. And we need to do the same thing. Now, I understand there's sometimes that you just don't feel like praising God. There's times when I don't feel like it too. Even on Sunday morning, sometimes that can happen, right? Maybe you got some bad news from your doctor during the week. Or maybe you had a really rough week at, at work. Or maybe you're having some relationship issues. Or maybe, I know this has never happened to anyone else, but your family has a fight on the way to church, right? You, nobody's ever done that, right? And so you get here and, and you think, I don't really feel like praising God. But then what happens? You go ahead and do it. And as you begin to sing these, these praises to God, what happens? God begins to change you. He begins to, to change what your perspective and what you're thinking about. It's impossible to start praising God, to thinking about how great and awesome He is, 
and still keep focused on your problems at the same time. So sometimes we just have to go ahead and praise God even when we don't feel like it. The next thing that we need to do if we want to make sure that, that we receive hope for our despair is that we need to re-gospel our souls frequently. I'll explain in a minute what I mean by re-gospel. We've talked about this before. But verse 5 is this really interesting verse, isn't it? I mean, look at it. He's basically, he says, he's having a conversation with his soul. And he's giving his soul a commandment here in verse 5. Now, that's kind of weird, right? How many of you have had a conversation with your soul lately? Probably not, right? But I think what he's doing here is actually a really good thing when you think about it. Now, the soul, the word that's used for soul and, and primarily used in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word, there's a, a word that really refers to the, the essence of a person. It includes our body as well as the immaterial part of who we are, but it, it primarily refers to the inner person. And it's a little bit different than the way that the soul and the spirit are explained in the New Testament. In the New Testament, they're kind of separated out. And we've talked about this before, that we have this soul, which is the, the center of our self-awareness. It consists of our mind and our emotions and our will. And then we have this spirit. It's this place deep inside of us where we commune with God's Holy Spirit. It's our place of God consciousness. Well, in the Old Testament, those things are kind of put all together here. And we actually see both aspects here. He's, he's dealing with his emotions, but he's also communing with God in this situation. And as he's having this conversation, he actually commands his soul to hope in God. And the word hope there is, a, as I explained to the kids this morning, it's more this idea of confident expectation. The Hebrew word means to wait expectantly. And the way the psalmist uses it here, it's an imperative. That means it's a command. So this isn't an option. He's saying to his soul, soul, you need to hope in God. So how do we do that? How do I tell my soul to hope in God? We've talked about this before, but this idea of re-gospeling myself, it's this idea that, that every day I remind myself of what Jesus has done for me. I remind myself that, that when I did nothing to deserve it, that Jesus became Emmanuel. He became God with us. He came down to this earth. He put on a body of flesh. He died on a cross, not because He deserved it, but because I deserved it. I remind myself that because he's done that, because I put my faith in him, that I can now come boldly to the throne of grace. I remind myself that I can have an intimate, personal relationship with God. And I remind myself that because of that, one day, I'm going to spend eternity in a place where I will be face to face with Jesus, where there will be no more sorrow, there will be no more pain, there will be no more despair. And then finally, one last thing, and this is really the key to everything else that we've talked about this morning, is I need to make Jesus my personal God. There's a lot of people out there that say they would believe in God. A lot of people that even say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, or I think Jesus is a good teacher, or I think he was a good man. I think he had a lot of good stuff to say. And, and so, yeah, I like to follow some of his teachings. But they've never taken this final step of making Jesus their personal God. Look at how the psalmist refers to God in this passage. He calls Him God, my exceeding joy, my God, 
my salvation, my God, not just a God. He's His personal God. And that's really the key to everything else. And the only way that we can make Jesus our personal God is by putting our faith in Him alone. By quitting, by stopping trying to to earn our way to God by the things that we can do and putting our faith in Jesus Christ alone. And when we do these things that we've been talking about this morning, guess what happens? Jesus, He takes away my despair and in place He gives me hope. But as we've seen this morning, the key to that is that Jesus gives me hope in exchange for my despair when I seek Him and not just a solution. Do you understand the difference there? I need to seek Jesus. He may provide a solution, but he may not. But as long as I'm seeking Jesus, I can have hope. And he can take away my despair. Now, all of us have some way that we need to respond to this message this morning. There may be some of you joining us, either here in the building or online this morning, who have never put your faith in Jesus who have never taken that first step of making Him your personal God. You see, Christmas is all about what I said just a moment ago, Jesus humbling Himself and leaving the glory of heaven, coming down here to earth because He loves us so much and dying on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins so you can have a relationship with God. And if you have never done that, then you need to do that today. Don't wait any longer. Tomorrow might be too late. And we would love to help you walk through how you can do that. But I know that most of you, probably many of you here, you've already made that decision. But maybe right now in your life, you'd have to honestly say, you know, there is some despair in my life. I'm kind of worn out with the way things are going on in this world right now. I think we all feel that way to some extent, right? And if that's the case, then maybe you need to take and apply some of these things that we've talked about this morning so that Jesus can take away that despair and give you hope. And then there are some of you here this morning who frankly are in a pretty good place in life. You'd have to say, I do have hope. I think if if you do, you've probably been doing some of the things that we talked about this morning. If that's the case, then you need to thank Jesus for making that happen because you can't do it on your own. The Bible tells us that He gives us both the the willingness to do it and the ability to put these things into practice. So you just need to give Him thanks if that's the case. We live in a world that's full of despair. But the good news is it doesn't have to be that way. Because Jesus, if you'll allow Him, will take away that despair. And in return, he'll give you his great gift, the gift of hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the hope that comes in Jesus. And my prayer for each person that's here today, whether they're here in person or online, my prayer is that they would experience your hope at this Christmas time. Father, there's a lot of reasons in this world to despair. We know that. But there's even more and greater reasons to have hope in Jesus. So, Father, help us to do that. Thank you for that gift. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.